with a melody you surround me with a song we're in Matthew 18 this morning Matthew 18 and then Matthew 19 and I had a, a sermon bumper prepared and then I went to conference and forgot to do it so um, <laughs> we the FEC conference the denomination are part of um, the fellowship of evangelical churches had their annual conference this week and myself and Mark and Keith and our wives got a chance to go and Oh, so good, so good, so refreshing, um, challenging, really focused on that FEC's mission is to establish reproducing churches worldwide and what it looks like for a body, even a small body, to begin to think about making another church, planning another church, reproducing themselves and what they're doing, and so it was really challenging and so exciting, but I wanted to tell you about my sermon bumper, so I'm going to have to ask you to use your imagination. Any of you ever seen the movie Hook? With Robin Williams. Oh, it's so good. I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I forgot how sad it was. Like, it's really, I, like, I'm like, Peter Pan, exciting. I watch, it's really sad. Don't judge me, I cried. But there's a scene in the beginning, and if I, if I ruin the movie for you, I'm sorry. It's old, you should have seen it by now, it's okay. Peter Pan grows up. He leaves Neverland and grows up, and that's the Robin Williams character. But Hook has stayed in Neverland, and he doesn't think the battle's over. His whole life goal is to kill Peter Pan. Well, Peter Pan has grown up and become Peter Banning. So Hook sends people from Neverland to London to kidnap Peter Banning's children. And he kidnaps him and he brings him to, to Neverland and Tinkerbell comes and gets Peter Banning, tries to convince him he's Peter Pan, and, and takes him to Neverland. And, and it's a great movie, but there's a scene at the very be- towards the beginning where Robin Williams is on the ship with Hook, and he sees his kids, and, and Hook keeps challenging him, this is, this, this is not Peter Pan. This is not the one who cut off my hand and fed it to the crocodile. This is not Peter Pan. And everyone's looking at, at Robin Williams like, oh, I think you're right, Hook. I don't think this is Peter Pan. And so Hook says, fine, fine, fine. If you fly up and touch your kids, because he's got, he's got his kids in a net hanging over the, the ship. He says, if you fly up there and touch their hand, I'll let you all go home. And Robin Williams, Peter Banning's line, fly? Are you crazy? And so he tries to climb up there and reach, and it's this really sad moment. And Smee, who's easily one of my favorite characters in this movie, Hook's sidekick, he goes up to Hook, and in his awkward little way, he says, Hook, that's Peter Pan. He's just grown up and forgotten everything. And that was the catalyst for my message this morning. Sometimes we grow up and forget all the things that we were supposed to be doing. Because we start doing all the things we're supposed to be doing. And we forget all the things that God intended for us to do. In Matthew 18, starting in verse 1. On the screen it starts in verse 2. But, so if you have your Bible, I'd love you to turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen or on your phone. Oops, go back. There we go. Oh, it is 1 through 4. I did it. Cool. Here we go. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
which reminds me that these were teenage boys. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And in the message, I love the way it's said. In the message, it talks about that you won't even be able to get a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven unless you turn and become elemental. I love that he uses the word elemental, that we get to the very basics of what we're doing. And when I think about this story, like, it's got to be kind of awkward for that kid. This is, this is how I read the Bible. I, I try and put myself in the characters. And I'm thinking, okay, this kid is, is probably pretty young because the disciples weren't very old. We always like to think of them in their 20s or 30s. No, they were probably between the ages of 14 and 18, with Juan being a little over 20. And so when it says bringing a kid, it was probably bringing a five, six, seven-year-old. And so here is the Son of God bringing you into the middle of a group of guys, and you're the point of the message. And it says standing in the middle. And that's just, to me, I, just, I always think about that, like the little kid like, let's go on. I'll just, okay, I'll just stand. Because, you know, kids are like, I'll just stand here quietly and politely because it's awkward and I don't know what else to do, which is what adults do. We just do it differently. And then turn one chapter farther back in your Bible to Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. Jesus had just taught on divorce. And then this little moment happens, and it's just a couple verses. I think it's incredibly important. It says, Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. This is one of the first times that you, one of the, one of the only times that I can really think of that Jesus openly rebuked his disciples in front of people. A lot of the times that you see Jesus correcting his disciples, it was when they're by themselves or when they're walking or they're in front of the crowds. No, this was, the crowds had gathered around and the people were bringing infants, children, babies to Jesus saying, pray for him, pray for him, pray for him. And the disciples were like, no, no, stop. Jesus didn't have time for the children. We got more important things to do. And in my study, when it says that there's other, it's in, in Luke and Mark as well, it says that Jesus was indignant. He was upset. He was angered at his disciples. And for one of the only times in front of everyone else, he said, stop it. You are wrong. But it had been building. It had been building. In Matthew 15, we see that the, there was a Canaanite woman who wanted prayer for her daughter. And the disciples were like, go away. Go away. Go away. We're, we're heading this way. we got things to do. We have a meeting to attend. We don't have time for what you need. In Mark 6, we see that during the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, send them away. We don't, we don't have enough food for them. Send them away. The disciples 
were more concerned about themselves and what they thought Jesus needed to do than what Jesus really wanted to do, which was be available for all of humanity. To be there ready for all people. They probably thought that they were, these buzzwords came to my mind when I was thinking about this. They thought they were probably leveraging God's time, streamlining the day's activities, creating a win-win for the rabbi and the crowd, and maintaining the ministry's best practices. I really think that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to make sure that Jesus had enough time to do all the things that Jesus needed to do. And Jesus said, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And in fact, this isn't exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. This is beyond that. I'm supposed to teach you to be them. Because how many times do we tell children, grow up, grow up, act like an adult. And Jesus here is telling the adults, act like children. Stop being all adulty. Ruining the buzz, okay? Ruin your buzz kill. You're ruining it for people, okay? This is a great moment. I was praying for some children. We're having a moment, and you ruined it. They forgot that Jesus came for all of humanity. And there's a, a little phrase, and I emphasized it when I read it in Matthew 18. It's this phrase that unless you turn and become like a child. Jesus was telling them, you're already going the wrong way. In fact, you're quite a ways down the wrong road. And you just stop, turn around, and begin to walk backwards towards childhood. Because in the message it says, because if not, you're not even going to get a glimpse of the kingdom. Like you're not even going to be able to put on your binoculars and see the kingdom if you're too big for the kingdom. Today I want to look at four characteristics, four traits that children have that I think we're supposed to have as well. But before I jump into those, I want to make a clear distinction. When I'm talking about childlikeness, I'm not talking about being childish. Because Scripture says, and we're going to look at three verses here in just a second, Scripture says very clearly that we need to mature, that we need to grow in our understanding, grow in our knowledge, grow in our connection with Jesus. So we're not talking about being childish. We're talking about being childlike. There's a big difference. So you have your Bibles. Turn to Luke 8, 14. Pastor Mark taught on this parable just a couple weeks ago. Because like most things in church, we either end up on one end of the spectrum or the other. We're either way too adult or way too immature. We've got to find a way to grow in our maturity but maintain our childlikeness. Luke 8, 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. It's clear that that's a negative. If your fruit is not maturing, if what you're producing as a believer is not maturing, that's clearly a negative. But I'm convinced that the best way for us, for our fruit to mature, is for us to become childlike. Because I think one of the reasons our fruit doesn't mature is because we're, we understand too much. We've experienced too much and our cynicism comes up too often that, ah, uh, that won't actually happen. 
We read a scripture and we begin to find all the reasons that won't work instead of being like a child who hears something and goes, okay, I'll do that. For our fruit to mature, we've got to become childlike. 1 Corinthians 14. You can turn there. I've got it up on the screen as well. Paul telling the Corinthian church, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. I love that line. Be infants. Don't understand evil. Don't, don't even mess with it. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. And the way you think, and the wisdom of God, and the way that you think about Scripture, and the way that you understand Scripture, be mature. Don't be childish. I've got three children, so I can say this. Children are inherently and unbelievably selfish. Sometimes adults are unbelievably selfish. It's, it's, an, it's, an, it's like an inborn quality in us. And here Paul is saying, in your thinking, don't be selfish. Don't be like a child in your thinking. Grow up. Be mature in your thinking. And in the book of Hebrews, farther back in your Bible, chapter 5. It says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, my students, my students know, because I'm the youth pastor, I teach 6th through 12th grade, they know that, that I always carry around a soapbox with me. I used to carry around a high horse, but it's too heavy. So I have my soapbox, and for a minute I'm going to go ahead and step up on this. This verse drives me nuts, and it's misquoted all the time and misrepresented all the time. My soapbox moves, by the way. It's on wheels. I haven't stepped off. I learned this a long time ago, and it didn't come from a pastor who taught me this, so please don't think this is a pastor's excuse for a weak message. Every message you hear on Sunday morning is milk. Don't ever say, oh, that message wasn't meaty enough. It's always milk, because what a message is is me going to meat, eating it, digesting it, processing it, and then feeding it to you. Every message ever preached by anyone in the history of the world is milk. What Paul is saying here is you need to have meat. You need to go to the word of God yourself, digest it, understand it for yourself. So please don't ever be like, no, that's not an excuse for a weak message. If my message is weak, let me know. But don't say it wasn't meaty because it can't be. In the same way a child will never be able to eat the same meat their mother eats, you will never be able to eat the same meat that I eat when I give it to you. It's always milk. Sorry, put that away. Okay. But we've got to be mature. We've got to grow up. In our understanding of Scripture, we've got to be able to go to it ourselves. And guys, that's not easy, I understand. That's why I love the different variations of Scripture, the different uh, translations. There's what I'm looking for. Don't, don't think that you've got to jump into the King James Version to understand the trueness of Scripture. Jump into the message. Jump into the New Living Translation. Jump into a translation that you can read and understand because, guys, I'm telling you, there is life in Scripture. There is hope in Scripture. There is peace in Scripture. There is power in Scripture. And if you're not reading it for yourself and you think Sunday to Sunday is going to be enough, you're going to be always tired, always exhausted, never feeling fulfilled and enough because all you're ever going to get is milk. We've got to mature in that. 
But in our maturity, we've got to remain childlike. Jesus said so. Actually, he didn't even say childlike. He said you have to be turn and become a child. So I've come up with four traits, four characteristics that when I was praying, when I was studying this, I really think that we as adults, long-time followers, short-time followers of Jesus, these are things that we need to remember. We need to put into practice again. Number one, children never forget. Ever. We had this white chair in our house. It's a little, like, kid's reclining chair. And someone came over one day, and they're like, oh, that's a really nice chair. Where'd you get that? Dana and I were like, ah, where, ah, where did we? Conlon, we got it at Ikea. We had to drive a long way to this big building with blue, light, blue words, blue letters. There's a big store. There was lots of things. Remember, we looked at this, and we looked at that, and then we did this, and we looked here. And I'm like, no. I don't remember any of that. 100%. Judge me if you want. If I've lost something, Conlon! Where's daddy's keys? <sighs> he always does that. Always exasperated. Like, dad, come on. They never forget anything, especially if you promise them or tell them something's going to happen. If you're not a parent yet, just a little advice. If you are not 100% locked in, decided that you are doing that and it's unchanging, never mention it to your child tantrums ensue, worlds are ruined, lives are over, because they never forget anything, ever. Seriously. <laughs> but as adults, how quick are we to forget? When's the last time we remembered the first time that God found us? When's the last time that we remember the, the first time that we understood, not just intellectually, but spiritually, emotionally, understood God's grace? We get so busy trying to understand all of Scripture, and that's great, we're supposed to, that we forget that part of being a Christian is to take a moment and remember the times that God has reconciled the relationship in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Psalms, the Old Testament writers tell the, the Israelites over and over and over, do not forget the works of God. And in fact, don't just forget, make sure you tell the next generation. Tell them, remember, remember, never forget. And guys, I'm guilty of this. The reason I'm giving this message, I was telling someone the other day, part of being an adult is learning all the things you're not good at and then trying to work on those. Being a pastor is learning all the things you're not good at and then preaching on those so that other people can hold you accountable to the things you're not good at. This is me. This is a message for me as much as it is for anybody else. I'm not good at this. My wife and I were talking about this. I needed this message this week because I forget too often where I was and who I used to be. And sometimes that's kind of a good thing because I wasn't a great person. But sometimes I need to stop and remember what God saved me from and what he saved me to. To remember the promises of God. How quick are we to, to forget all the things that God said he's going to do? All the promises of the New Testament and Scripture, the hope that is found in Jesus. We tend to be, as Christians, hopeless people when we should be the most hope-filled people in the entire world. But it's not because we don't believe. I think it's because we forget. 
We get so busy doing life, so busy making money and paying bills and raising a family, which are all important, great things. But Jesus told his disciples, unless you turn and become like a child, unless you never forget what I have done, you're missing it. In fact, you won't even get a glimpse of what I'm trying to accomplish. And guys, this is all evangelism is. We get real scared when someone starts talking about evangelism. Evangelism is simply telling someone else, remembering for someone else what God has done for you. That's it. Because the more you tell someone, dude, the other day, this happened, and it was God. Like, there's no other way. And like two days later, dude, the other day, dude, today, this morning, all of a sudden that person, that coworker, is going to be like, what? Dude, this God that they love is always doing stuff. And he is always doing stuff. We just don't often tell people about it. For children, everything is a wow. Oh, my little baby Finnegan, he's not a baby, he's two. He's still a baby. He's always my baby. If you've ever been around him, you've seen something, anything, like a noise, a truck drives down the road. Whoa! And he points to it. He can't see it. But whoa! Wow! My middle guy, Easton, he's my favorite to cook for. And when I say cook, I mean like warm up hot dogs. Because you feed him. And I'm not like talking about good food. I'm just saying you feed him. Oh, daddy, it's good. It's good food. And he get like, the rule is we, we don't always sit at our table because we got little ones and we're heathens. And so we sit at a, sometimes we sit at a little plastic table in the living room watching TV. Again, we'll repent. It's fine. And the rule is they can't get up from that table. That's the rule, which again, we repent because we don't enforce it all the time. But anytime Easton begins to eat food, oh, and he stands up, and if, especially mom, not always the dad, but he goes to mom, grabs her face, kisses her. This is the best food ever had. You feel like you're like, I can go, I'm going on Iron Chef tomorrow. Bobby Flay, you're mine. No, it's just because my four year old, everything's a wow. They're excited by everything. Things that become too familiar lose their power. For many of us sitting here today, church, worship, preaching, Jesus have all become too familiar. We've done them for decades. They're too familiar. Jesus went back to his hometown like fully in his ministry, not like, you know, 16-year-old Jesus, like 30-year-old Jesus ready to do his ministry thing, goes back to his hometown. And they say, Jesus, I know you. I know your mom. Your dad's a carpenter. I know you. And Jesus says, I I can't do anything here. He literally, (laughs) the Greek word there, he's saying, I have no power here. Things that are too familiar lose their power. Now, you should be incredibly familiar with Jesus and intimate with Jesus, but it's got to be fresh. And that's the balance we've got to because it's not like we're supposed to be like not understanding it and not not intentional and, and relational with Jesus. But there's got to be a childlikeness to us that, that like just like Easton has eaten the same food two dozen times that every time, oh, 
so good. One of my favorite things ever in life is to hang around new believers. Because new believers will send you that text. Bro, have you ever read John 3.16? It is so good. Dude, like, this is the most life-changing. God sent his son to die for me. He loved me so much. He sent his son to die for me. And I'm like, yeah, I know. We've become I know people. We're not excited when someone turns to a verse like, ah, oh, I heard that a thousand times. Yeah, and each time it should be like, oh, so good. So good. And I see it especially with worship songs, and don't get me wrong, like worship songs sometimes is like, really, that one? Like, especially because it's on the radio all the time. It's not because we play it all the time. It's because we've heard it on the radio. And so we heard it on the radio, like if you're driving and you hear it on the radio five times and the band starts playing it, you're like, <sighs> really, you should be like, oh, yes. This song about Jesus. I don't care what the words are. I don't care what the melody is. I don't care what the notes are or the beat is. It's talking about Jesus. That should be a wow. Every single time. Whether you're 4 or 40 or 84 or 404. Because P.S. for the rest of eternity, it's going to be wow. <laughs> Jesus. Again. Church is a glimpse of that. But we come in like, oh, okay. Stand for worship, okay. Good, good father again, okay. Good, good father. What am I going to have for lunch? Margaret Feinberg, in her book, Wonderfilled, she says, we live unconscious of the life God wants for us. We slumber in the presence of the sacred and snore in the company of the divine. I'm going to go sit down and cry now. Like, that was a gut punch when I read that. Like, I don't have many of those. Usually it's like, oh, that's good. This one's like, oh, no. Mm, I'm not, I do. I do. And guys, here's the real kicker that God showed me. <laughs> this is the hard part. That's not just Sunday mornings. Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Every moment you're awake and alive, you are in the presence of the sacred and the company of the divine. Goal! Not good. Not good at this at all. Not good at this at all. I waste so much time. I waste so many opportunities. Because I'm not conscious of the life God wants for me. Children are dependent and unashamed. I'm glad my children aren't in here so I can use them for all sorts of stories. My two oldest ones, since they have become potty trained, my boys love mama. Okay? Like most boys do. And in our household a lot, you hear mom, mommy, mama. And it's almost always for something like pretty good. There's one specific time that I hear, Daddy! It's in the bathroom after they have completed the task and need help with one specific moment. I don't get Daddy for hugs and kisses. I don't get Daddy for want to come. No, I get Daddy! La help here. That's Easton all the time. La help here. La help. La help here. All right, bud, I'm coming. Dependent and unashamed about it. 
pants down, bent over. He's ready to roll. Let's do it, Daddy. Come on. Conlon is going into first grade, and he's beginning to learn to do things himself. And I love it. I love it. And I also hate it so much. Because it, it reminds me there's going to be a day he doesn't need me. And the emotion that just came up, I wonder if that's the emotion God gets when he looks at me. He says, oh, he's grown to the point he doesn't feel like he needs me anymore. Even though I know in John, he tells his disciples, guys, hey, uh, without me, you can't do anything. When I'm independent, I lose out on what those children experienced that day with Jesus. The presence of God, being with God, and then simply sitting and being prayed for. How many of us, and don't raise your hand because I don't, we're not in that business, but how many of us don't really like being prayed for? Because it defeats our independence. We're reminded that we can't accomplish everything that we're set out to do. And guys, that's the whole point. The whole point is you can never be good enough to get saved. You're not good enough to stay saved. Jesus does everything else. And that's why he says, take my yoke. It's really light. It's easy to carry. Please. Finally, children believe without complication. I read this and I love it. Children never believe that they're being lied to. You tell a child something, <laughs> my favorite one, Roger Prophet one time, when we had, I think it was last year, when we were getting the new um, wood chips out on the playground. Like there were mounds of them. And like they, they'd been separated but not spread out evenly. So there was like mounds. Roger Prophet told my kids that it was a, a, a dragon underneath there. My four-year-old's still like, what you doing walking over here? Why? The dragon. They believed without complication. Why can't we do that? Why do I find every reason and every excuse God's promises won't work in my life? Why? Why can I not just read, I will do greater things than you could ever ask, think, or imagine? My first response, no, you won't. I've become so cynical in life that I can't read a promise of God and go, ah, oh, yes, do it now, done, over. I find all the reasons it won't work. And we all do that. And unfortunately, like junior high students do the same thing. So this is like, when I talk childlike, I'm talking real young. Cynicism is learned real quick. And perfected the older we get. Guys, I'm, I'm only 34, and I'm learning. I am unbelievably cynical about so many things that God has promised me. Where two or more are gathered, I am there. 
when's the last time I believed that walking into worship? That in this moment, I'm going to experience and feel God's presence in a real tangible, tactile sort of way. When's the last time I prayed for something to happen and didn't doubt that it would happen? I think this is why Jesus is saying, you guys are, you guys are, you guys are in, it's okay. But you're missing everything I have for you. You're missing this life that I've built for you, that I died for you to have because you've grown up too much. You've moved from Peter Pan to Peter Banning, and everyone, and we're looking at you like, that's ah, Peter Pan, but he's grown up and forgotten everything. My prayer since I wrote this message is, God, don't let that be me. My prayer is that Jesus never looks at me and thinks, he used to be Peter Pan. There's Brian. He's grown up and forgotten everything. Finally, I want you to turn to this one. Romans 8. Because this idea of childlikeness is found throughout the New Testament. It's not just in a couple of verses. Hebrews talks about it. Paul talks about it multiple times. There's this phrase I want to look at in Romans 8, 15 and 16. Read it first. I read out of the ESV. That's what I like. I'll read the message. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom you cry, Abba, Father, double exclamation point. The Spirit himself bears witness with your spirit that we are children of God. The phrase Abba, Father, there is, is best translated Daddy. Papa. It is one of the most intimate terms that you see used in description of God in the New Testament. And Paul says, you've been given the Spirit of God so that you can go to God like a child and exclaim with double exclamation points, Daddy. But the message just brings this home. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is and we know who we are. Father, and I want to make it personal, Father and child. The life that Jesus died for you to have is not so you can come to HCC Sunday after Sunday. Please come to HCC Sunday after Sunday. But that's not what Jesus died for you to have. Jesus died for you to have this, like, when I look at children, children never pretend to be mediocre. You'll never find a little boy pretending to lose the Super Bowl. Out in the front yard, oh, tackled at the one, he lost. No! He scores 900 touchdowns, beats the aliens, Space Jam. Children dream to win. Adults stopped. We no longer go to God and say, God, what's the adventure today? That is why some of us, so many of us, like we get in this rut. 
And we talk about it all the time. And don't raise your hands again, but how many of you sitting at work go, God, I need a vacation? I gotta be honest, I think if we're living childlike, we never say that. Because every day going to work, it's like, all right, what's my adventure today, Daddy? Let's do it. Who am I gonna talk to? What are you gonna do today? What miracle are you gonna do? What sign are you gonna do? What worship song is gonna come into my head and I'm gonna praise you during my lunch hour? What's gonna happen today? Who am I gonna pray for? Who am I gonna save? Who's gonna get saved today? Who's gonna, what's gonna happen? Who am I gonna invite to church and they're gonna come to church and then they're gonna get saved and their whole family's gonna get saved and like the whole community's gonna get saved? There's no rut there. There's no, I need a vacation. Every day's a vacation. This is the life that God died for you to have. Not go to work, come home, go to bed. Go to work, come home, go to bed. Wake up, go to church, come home, go to bed. It's not the life Jesus died for. Too many of us have decided that the, the, the eternal life that God has for us is after we die. And Jesus is like, no, the eternal life that I gave for you is when you say yes. And you turn and become a child and go, ooh, daddy, what are we doing today? Because that's how kids wake up. That's how my kids wake up. Daddy, what are we doing today? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And me as a dad, I don't know. And we'll figure out something. Okay, let's do that. Everything's exciting for a child. Their walk with God, the adventure of life. For adults, for me. When's the last time I've been truly excited about anything? When's the last time I've been truly excited to wake up in the presence of God, get on my knees before God and say, oh, Daddy, what adventure are we going on today? Remove my fear, remove my worry, remove my anxiety, remove my doubts, and fill me with childlike wonder.